0: I want to welcome you to this final message in our December Advent series, Waiting Here for You. We've been talking about waiting and warning, welcoming, wonder, and now, after Christmas, the opportunity to witness to all of it. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of that term, witnessing or being a witness. You know, maybe it's an image like this of somebody out there who's witnessing on the street or knocking on a door of somebody you don't know and then having the door slammed in your face again. Or, or maybe it's that recurring nightmare of debating this agnostic professor type person on the existence of God and, and being humiliated. Probably witnessing is not on your top ten of assignments from God. It's not for me anyway. And yet, Scripture, while we are told to always be ready to give an answer to everyone for our faith, it goes on and concludes, if you're asked the reason for the hope that you have. And that begs the question, why would someone be asking about the hope that you have? We'd infer that it must be inviting and not repelling. I like what the AA book says. We operate by attraction and not promotion. In fact, the next verse in the First Peter 3 passage says, But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, They'll be ashamed when they see what a good life that you live because you belong to Christ. Clearly, the Bible is most concerned with us being a witness, even before going out and witnessing. Jesus' final words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the last ones we have recorded of him in all of Scripture, he says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It has this sense that as you go, be my witness. Jerusalem is where we live now, and Judea is that territory that's around us. It's a bit more missional to think about Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. We intentionally have to go into Samaria, most of us, because it's the place we last want to be. It's often the place of the outcast. But even in those places, Jesus puts enough stock that if you wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you, which, you know, newsflash, he's already come. Pentecost has happened. We have the Holy Spirit in full force when we go, that going in his name and in his power, being a witness is enough. Acts chapter twenty two, fifteen, later on in the letter about the church says, For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. That word witness, the Greek word is martis, and it literally means to be a legal or historical spectator. It's like being on the witness stand. They're not interested in all of your ideas about something, but what did you see? What did you hear? First John 1 says it so clearly when the Apostle John speaks. He says, that which we have seen and heard and touched, we proclaim to you that you might have fellowship with us. It is a firsthand account with Jesus. He puts so much stock in it that he believes that if we would just go in his name and in his power, that will be enough. Well, Martise, perhaps you recognize another word that comes out of that in our English, Martyr and that really means someone who's so impacted by what they've witnessed that they're actually willing to die for what they believe in and each of those early first hand witnesses who had seen and heard and touched jesus died as martyrs all but john who was by legend account Put in a bat of boiling oil to kill him too, and he didn't die. and so they, they got a bit freaked out. and let's let this one go. It wasn't clever arguments and, and persuasive speech that would move people. It was the lives of these, those, these uh, men who had encountered Jesus firsthand, who would be martyred, men and women. Matthew 5.16 calls us to that. In the same way for us, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. What we say is powerful only when our talk matches our walk. There's an early church uh, opponent, Lucian of Samasta, who supposedly wrote, though I hate what these Christians stand for, I must concede that not only do they care for their own outcasts, widows, and orphans, but they care for ours as well. That took notice. These people were different. There was an author some years ago who George Hunter interviewed secular people in America and he asked them, you know, about what they believed about Christians. And he found they kind of fell into three different camps. One group said, well, we wonder if they really do believe what they say. We're clear about what they believe, but we wonder if they really believe it themselves. A second one group said, well, we don't doubt that they believe it, but We wonder if they really live by it, hypocrites. And then there was a third group that said, well, perhaps they believe it and they live by it, but what difference does it make in the world? Seems like it's mostly arguments amongst themselves and about fighting the culture, posting 10 commandments and having prayer in schools and defrocking pastors because they're women or this or that. What difference does it make? And and Hunter likened that 4th century Ireland, the time of the Celtic revivals and St. Patrick, to our days today. He, he said that was a real pre-Christian culture. And in some ways, we, we're sort of that. We've talked about being post-Christian for a long time, and many have said we've, we're beyond being post-Christian to almost pre-Christian. And what he said transformed for 200 years Ireland was this approach very opposite of the normal Roman approach that Pastor Tom often talks about, that we're not at the journey, an attractional approach where we invite people in to hear the creeds and the messages, and and, and to get in you sort of have to believe it already. That wasn't what St. Patrick did at all. He instead would put 12 on-fire Christians into a community and just encourage them to be witnesses, to live their lives and love people out of that space and to develop community and to meet needs and to enter into the ministry of conversation and of reconciliation, to show what authentic fellowship was. And and lo and behold, people caught that And when they would ask them later on, do you believe these things, they would say, I guess so. I've touched it, and I've heard it, and I've seen it, and now they are experiencing it. The ministry of neighboring, really. You know, over a hundred times in the Scripture speaks of our neighbors, Jesus' very new command that he gives, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, Mark 12, 30 and 31. So what we're focused on here at the journey is how do we neighbor? And in some ways, this old style of attraction to people to come into a space to hear of God. How's that going to happen in the days of COVID? No. We are the light. We are salt. And the degree that God is transforming and has transformed us, that is how God wants to meet the needs of the world around us. I remember when we moved to to Northboro in 2000, Our neighbor came over one day, and and he said, you know, we're secular humanists. Is how he introduced himself, even before their names. And I know you're really religious people. Somehow he had heard that. And as we started to talk and introduce ourselves, but he, he said, I was coming because we have some concerns for our daughter, so say a word for her sometime. Neighboring. And we became such good friends with them and had many conversations, many profound spiritual conversations. They never went with us to church. We invited them a few times. But we were changed by our interaction, neighboring. And I wonder for you, who was a witness to you that had a role in you being where you are today in the family of God? I remember Jimmy was a friend of mine in, in the 7th uh, grade. I'd move 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th grade, so I was not settled at all, and he was a guy that sat next to me in class one time, and just he wasn't trying to evangelize me, but he did invite me to a Youth for Christ meeting, and I went, and, and, and there was a second guy that was a witness to me, the leader of that group, He, you know, Jimmy played the guitar, and he asked, do you play the guitar too? I said, yeah. He said, well, bring it next week. Well, they they had about six guitar players, you know, which they didn't need another guitar player. But the fact that he could see me and engage me in whatever they were doing, not are you a Christian or, you know, I didn't have to pass any litmus test, just join us. I think of him as a witness. They took me eventually on a youth retreat, in about 8th grade, and a guy named Tom spoke there. Not our pastor Tom, a different one in Minnesota. And he talked about smuggling Bibles in China and Russia, and this was in the 70s, and and he became, that was a witness to me like, wow, um, that's you know, I wonder if I could ever do that, and I did with him about 10 years after that. I remember in high school watching the the movie The Cross and the Switchblade at the movie theater in my town and this witness of David Wilkerson who would befriend these gang youth in New York City and he would go on to start Teen Challenge of which we have one in our city here in Worcester and some of the Teen Challenge guys worship with us at the Journey Community Church and that was a witness to me that that God would you be calling me into something like that it's something connected in all those years after I met the guy at the youth retreat and I went with him to China to the smuggle in Bibles and met a pastor that had just come out of prison from the underground church and he was a profound witness to me it was none of the things that these people said per se but there was something about their lives they were a witness And I do have sort of a smell detector up. I'll confess that I'm always watching people who are giving me instructions and messages, especially ones about how I should live my life. And I'm watching very closely how they live their life, when they probably aren't aware that I'm watching them. And I, I suspect you might be as well. Being a witness. Most of us aren't one faith by debates or online posts or even great preaching messages, but it's authentic life witnesses that we are all called to be. It puts a lot of pressure on our actions, though, doesn't it? People watching me like that, I'm not sure I want them to see everything about me. You know, I'm not perfect. And does that mean if I screw up, then I screw up the whole cause? Well, we're not called to be perfect, because none of us are. But it's a trust in the Jesus who is in us that's greater than the spirit that's in the world, that he will make his way out if we tend to his work in us. That's why I love so much John chapter 13, 34 when Jesus said, a new command I give to you Love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. You get the order there? In the same way I have loved you, love one another. It's not go out and try your best to love one another. Emulate what you saw me do. Do the same thing. No. As I have loved you, if you have received my love, that very love reflect and let it overflow and touch others that's the secret sauce and so i think john seven thirty-seven and 38 is probably the greatest witness protection program in all the world it's the way we protect our witness That's all that we have. If we are called to be his witnesses, this is a key verse for us. And it's in a context where Jesus speaks at a big festival on the Feast of Tabernacles. It says that on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty... Let them come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You probably have heard these verses or maybe think about them as more of an evangelistic message to those who don't believe, uh, those who don't know Christ. But the context that Jesus speaks them is to his people. People who've traveled for days for this seven-day festival. Some of you may be going to a soul fest here in New England. It's a, it's a gathering of Christians uh, for four days, I think. Our creation was a seven-day festival uh, that, that people would come from all around. At, at its height, 75,000 people. And it was that kind of a thing. People travel for days, and then they'd be there, and then you know, after seven days, they got to disperse and go back home. And this is the climax of that feast. That Jesus speaks in a loud voice, and it, it's not what you would expect in that context, because you think it's sort of a pep talk: "Is you're going to go back? You know, we won't be again here till next year, and so really, you need to put these things into practice." But he gives this message starting with if anyone is thirsty but there had to have been some in there it may be like you who at even the greatest festival left or maybe even heightened a spiritual thirst more of you God thirst what's that well the scripture talks about it. Whoever's hungers and thirst for righteousness will be fulfilled. It's a it's a key component that we are all made with this spiritual hunger and thirst, and yet in our day, just think of all the things that crowd it out. When's the last time you were truly alone to even listen to the th- that thirst? Though we're in a pandemic, we're still not very alone. We've got cell phones on. How hard is it for you to even go to bed at night and not have your cell phone in your room? Or when's the last time you shut it off for 12 or 24 hours? I can't tell you the last time for me. Or with all of social media, television, there's just not much time and maybe it's because I don't want to feel thirsty. I don't want what comes when it just gets quiet. And yet, that's the space that God's voice often speaks best into, into silence. Resisting all the things that will try to fill it up, whether it's a new business venture, remodeling plans, a myriad of problems with spouse or kids, just so I don't have to be alone. And Jesus speaks to them. If anyone is thirsty, are you? I used to be so afraid of it. And yet I've learned over the years that it's in that space that God most speaks. He speaks to us, says in Romans, his kindness leads us to repentance. His discipline can speak to us. But when we hunger and thirst... At a deep level. I remember at, at 23 as a, as a stockbroker and coming to this place saying, if this is all there is, I'm not sure it's enough for me. And what it was was a thirst that this isn't what I was to be doing. This wasn't all of it. And Sprite used to run this commercial, Obey Your Thirst. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. But first, you have to feel it. If anyone's thirsty, he says, come to me. Come to me. Jeremiah says, my people have gone and dug for themselves broken cisterns, broken wells, places to get their thirst quenched to feel satisfied, to feel significant, to be feeling secure. It can be my job. It can even be my family, trying to get it to work the way it should, my community, my position in the church. Not bad things, but they're not what we're created for that meets our thirst. Timothy Keller says, an idol is a good thing put in an ultimate place. Good things, family, responsibilities in my church, my career, my job, all good things. But when we use them to meet a God-ordained and given thirst, they become idols, and they leave us all the more thirsty. He said broken wells are like drinking salt water. For nourishment. It doesn't work. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me, and what does he say? And drink. Is it possible to come to Christ and not drink from him? <laughs> Some ways it's, it's normal to for us. We may come to him, but where do we get our nourishment? Something that we would have, something to give to somebody else. Our human demands to look good and feel good and be right and to be in control, those are natural things. And we put all sorts of stuff into our lives so that we don't have to feel so thirsty. And they get in the way of Jesus' master plan to change the world. And so it's no wonder if we're not able to be his witnesses, what we're exuding out of it Is what we put into us. And the gift is the thirst that is deeper than all of that. If we'll but settle down and quiet down and tune into that thirst, then the second part of this strategy of Jesus to change the world out of you will flow or gush rivers of living water, it will come out of you. And God's economy is always one of multiplication. You know, plant a seed and it will produce 30, 60, 100 fold that whatever I take in truly of him into my life out of my thirst for him, my great need for him, it will work its way in me and come out and touch other people. I don't have to get anybody to do anything. We will be his witness. And I know for some of us, we go through all of these periods in our lives. Sometimes we're at a place where we feel like we're just giving out and giving out and giving out and there's nothing left. And the solution is obey your thirst. And for some of us, we take in and take in and take in and take in, and it turns like the Dead Sea. You know, it's the richest body of water in the world, but there's no outlet for it. And so no life grows is in in that place either. Be my witness. We're privileged to be given such a task, aren't we? It's God's plan A to change the world and he doesn't have a plan B. Ambassadors of Christ trusting that what he's doing in us is not just enough for us, but it will spill over and touch others. And as we're finishing one year, 2020, hallelujah, thank the Lord, and about to embark on 2021, what a place and time to orient to this. Because God has greater things than we could ask hope, even imagine, if we would just center ourselves into that space it may take some time to just settle down listen to my thirst and believe that as I go and some of us we're not going very far these days Jerusalem but as I go his witness coming out of me will accomplish all that he has in mind let's pray God, thank you that you have somehow chosen not just to save us, but to enlist us as ambassadors, as witnesses of the great work you did in our lives and with words, but even more than words, with fruit and evidence out of us. And each of us is in a unique place right where you have placed us with people that are watching us who we don't have to try to get to be thirsty for you. They already are. They just some some of them don't know it. But they will see what's authentic. And so deepen our thirst in these days that in this next year, out of us could gush rivers of living water, that we would fill and fulfill your command to be my witness. Amen.